So we've been going through the Psalms, um, and last week we looked at Psalm 84, uh, speaking about what it is to live in the presence of God, and this week it continues in Psalm 91. Um, And so let's look at that Psalm. This is God's Word. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of our God. Be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. It truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And in your word, you reveal to us yourself and who you are towards us. And for that, we are eternally grateful. But you also expose us and speak to our real frailties that you might minister to us, that you might train us to depend on you, that you might give us life in yourself and your son. I pray to that end, you would give us your spirit now as we hear your word. Help us to see your son and to live in light of him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So I want to ask you a question, and um, I don't really want you to answer out loud or even raise your hands, but maybe you could pretend like you're doing so internally. How many of you struggle with anxiety, worry, stress, fear? Our society's eaten up with, with that, and um, I used to be a guy eaten up with fear, and I'm, I'm not so much driven by fear now, but even I struggle with anxiety at times in our anxious culture. Growing up, though, when I was a young child, I struggled with anxiety really, really badly. Um, I used to be a scared of the, afraid of the dark. Some of you young kids may be afraid of the dark also. But what I was really afraid of was that someone was going to break into our house. And so I would check the doors at least four or five times a night. I know that was weird and OCD, but that's what I would do. And it felt like if I checked the doors enough, I would protect us from getting broken into. Now, 
if someone wanted to break in our house, they could have. If someone wants to break in any of our houses, it's not that hard. And so what's going to protect us in truth, and what's going to guard us from those sorts of fears? Well, this psalm doesn't speak directly to the fear of someone breaking your house, but it does speak to the anxieties that come from being under attack, from facing challenges that are bigger than us. And so the question is, is where are we going to run in the middle of all the trials and struggles and fears and anxieties that we have? Because all of us struggle with that at some level or another. And verse 1 really is kind of the, uh, the key to this whole passage. And I'm going to read it and talk about a few things. And then, and then we're going to talk about the theme of the passage. But verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now here he calls us to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. In other words, in the shelter of the Lord. And if we do so, we're going to have the Lord watch over us in the shadow. Now this verse seems like it's stating the obvious. Like saying something like, if you stand outside in a rainstorm, you're going to get wet. If this is true, if this truth is so obvious that if you dwell in the shelter of the Almighty, you're going to abide in the shadow, shelter of the Most High, you're going to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. If it's so obvious, then... Why, is, why do we have a psalm dedicated to this? Why are we to hear it, and in particular to sing it, because the psalms were meant to be sung? And the answer is because we forget this. We often don't get it or live in light of it or practice it. I struggle with that even today. And so this psalm is given to us that we might learn to live in light of the Lord, that we might live in His shelter, that we might experience the glories of living in His shadow. So what are the effects of those who hide or rest in the Lord? What is it like to live in the shadow of the Almighty? And He explains it in three different ways. He shows us that if you live in the shadow of the Almighty, you get three things. The thing He focuses most on is protection. You also get peace. And you also get prosperity. So yes, this is a Presbyterian sermon on the prosperity gospel. Um, and so we're going to need to hear the wonderful things it says, and then we're going to put some asterisks on it, like good Presbyterians at the end, alright? So what are the effects of those who rest or hide in the Lord? It's protection. And this is the theme, the fundamental theme that runs throughout the psalm. And I'm just going to read several verses that unpack it. Verse 3, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from deadly pestilence. The things that are coming after you to hurt you or kill you, He's going to deliver you from these things. Verse 7 through 13, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near to you. You're going to be protected even though tons of people are dying around you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. You're going to have a front row seat to not only protection for you, but judgment of the wicked. Those who are coming after you are going to be taken down by the Lord. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. Verse 10, no evil will befall, be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. 
For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, that is the angels' hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion, the adder, the young lion, and the serpent will tra- you will trample underfoot. Now this is, these are pretty radical promises of protection, right? That no plague's going to uh, come near your tent? That no evil's going to befall you? That angels are going to protect you so that you're not going to hurt your foot, but instead your feet are going to be used to trample the serpent? Clear allusion to Genesis 3.15. And even trample young lions under your feet. Verse 14 and 15. Because he holds, because he hold fa- holds fast to me in love, in other words, that we hold fast to the Lord in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him, I will be with him in trouble. I'll rescue him and honor him. So here he gives six promises in these two verses. Deliverance, protection, answered prayer, presence, that is, I will be with him in trouble. Rescue, and then he promises to honor or glorify or give us weight, make our lives weighty. Then finally in verse 2, because all these things are true, because he offers this, this, this protection, we have a proclamation about the Lord. I will say to the Lord, that is Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now what is this passage saying to us? And we're going to unpack it further as we go along. But this is saying that if you trust in the Lord, God's going to radically protect you. At every single level. Do you believe that? We struggle to believe that. Our lives are filled with anxiety and the things that cause anxiety are things like Am I going to be able to pay the bills? Is something, when's the next shoe going to drop? Is my health going to be okay? Is my kids' health going to be okay? okay my family, my parents, my friends. Are people going to come after me to hurt me? Is this country going to self-destruct? A lot of Christians are saying, are we going to be victims of everything? And here he says, the answer is no, I'm going to protect you. Now, all of you are looking at me like that's way too simple, Howard, and that's true. But unless we hear what he's saying here, we're going to miss an important thing. The Lord is promising to protect you at a really, really deep and radical level. The Lord's saying he's so committed to you, he's not going to let anything that really would hurt you really befall you. We struggle to believe that, right? But to the degree that we do believe that, we will cry out with, with the psalmist, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, in light of God's protection, it leads to another gift, and that's the gift of peace. He says of the one who rests in, this, in, a, in the shadow of the Lord, you will not fear the terror of night, nor the error that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor destruction that wastes at noonday. That one of the gifts that God gives us, if we live in the shadow of the Almighty, is that He gives us protection, but He also gives us peace, will not be captured with fear of trouble coming upon us. Again, most of what you have anxiety about, most of what you have fear about, is just that. 
that terrible things are going to happen to you. Why is that? Because you see around you that terrible things happen. And maybe you personally have experienced and maybe even are experiencing terrible things happening to you. Which we're going to have to deal with in a second. So he gives us all those who rest in the Lord, who hide in the Lord, who dwell in the shelter of the Almighty and the shadow of the shelter of the Most High and the shadow of the Almighty. I'm botching this every time. We'll experience protection, peace. We'll also experience prosperity, flourishing. Verse 16, the one that ends it. With long life, God says, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So these are pretty radical promises that God's going to protect us. He's going to give us peace. And he's going to cause us to have prosperity or flourish. Do you believe that? That's what he's promising here in, in Psalm 91. Now, I'll tell you some things that aren't going to protect you. What are the, some of the things that we look to protect us? Well, God made me smart. That's one of the gifts I have. Okay? Sometimes I think my smarts are going to protect me. It doesn't. Sometimes we think that money will protect us. I spend an unhealthy amount of time worrying about do I have enough money to protect me? And the answer is, no, you don't, Howard. Some, some of us think that our beauty will protect us. For me, that's never really been a struggle. But for some of you, maybe it is. Some of you think that your work or your work ethic is going to protect you. That tends to be one of my struggles also. Some of you think that your own pursuit of pleasure or escape will protect you. That if you can just hide in the video game or the entertainment or the shopping or whatever it is that takes away the edge of the anxiety, that that will protect you. But the truth is, is none of these things are able to protect us. What will guard us from fear and anxiety? What leads to fear and anxiety? Well, the thing that leads to fear and anxiety is any scheme other than the Lord is your refuge. As a matter of fact, uh, we have all these schemes for how we're going to be protected and just layers the different fears that we have. Uh, I mentioned one of the things I struggle with sometimes is thinking that if I just can get enough money in the bank or whatever, this can protect me. And so then I worry about losing money in the bank or the stock market. A whole other layer of protection of anxiety from my schemes to protect me. Something other than the Lord is my refuge. But the Bible does teach us that there is a fear that can deliver you from all other fears. The fear of the Lord. For captured by God, all these other things won't capture us. And then finally, what lead, will lead to flourishing and prosperity? Well, we started out the series, the summer series with Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 says that the one who flees the wicked and meditates on God's Word on God will be like a tree formerly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. And so resting in the Lord is what leads to prosperity or flourishing. So the, second, the next question I want to look at is why are we protected, given peace, and caused to flourish if we run to the Lord? And, and again, this may seem obvious, but it's something we forget frequently. He tells us that the reason all this happens is because of what the Lord does for us. And I'm going to kind of go through this quickly, but, but 
It's all through this psalm. For he, that is God, will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. He will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. He tells us in verse 10, No evil will be allowed to befall you or plague come near you. Why? Because he, God, will command his angels to help you and to guard and protect you. Verse 14, Because he holds fast to me in love that is us holding fast to him, God says, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And in verse 16, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Why is it we're going to be protected? It's not that you're going to be smart enough or good enough or by golly people like you. It's going to be because the Lord is faithful and He loves you and He's out for your good. And this is true of all those who take shelter in Him. If we think that protection, peace, prosperity comes from our actions or from another person or another thing, we're fools. Okay, That's what the Bible would describe us as. But here it tells us that God... For all those who rest in Him will allow us to flourish. It will cause us to experience peace. And He Himself will be the one who protects us. And so, it's all because of what the Lord does. Because of His deep commitment to us. And we're going to explore this a little bit later. So what are we to do? Okay, this is where it gets really interesting, especially for Presbyterians. Uh, we're really good in believing the sovereignty of God, the bigness of God, that God's supposedly going to take care of us. What we're not so good at is recognizing and responding to what's our responsibility in this. And he tells us several things that are our responsibility, or this is the avenue, this is the instrument. It's not the merit, the way we merit us, the way we access it. But you have to access the shelter of the Lord if you're going to experience the his shadow. Verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Almighty will abide in the shadow of the... Oh my goodness, I did it again. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Okay, what does that mean? You and I better get in the shelter of the Most High. We better run to the tent who is the Lord. The psalmist says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Again, the psalmist is taking ownership that, that God's the only refuge and in, in fortress he has, and therefore he's running to him. Verse 9, he reflects on the people of God. He says, because you have made the Lord your dwelling, the Most High who's your, my refuge, then all these things are going to happen to you. That it's through running to the Lord that we experience him protecting us. Verse 14, because He holds fast to me in love, again, God's saying this about us, that we're to hold fast to the Lord in love, and He's going to deliver us, etc. Verse 15, when He calls to me, I will answer Him. In other words, if you want to hear Him, if you want Him to answer you, what do we have to do? Call on Him. If you want him to deliver you at some level, what do you have to do? 
run to him. If you want to experience the shadow of the Almighty, what do you have to do? Enter the shelter of the Most High. Okay, if you want to stay dry in a storm, what do you have to do? Get under some kind of covering. Okay, I know this seems ridiculously simple, but the reality is all of us, myself maybe especially, struggle to practice this. That's why we've been given the psalm. And so, here's where some of the asterisks come. The what about. Howard, I I hear you proclaiming that Psalm 91 tells us that if we run to God, we're going to be protected. And that it even says no evil is going to come to our house. No plague is going to come upon us. But, I mean, come on now, Howard. Come on, God, is at some level. I've experienced hardships in my life. Why is that? Now, our brothers in the prosperity gospel camp would say it's not because you just haven't done enough. You haven't run enough to the, to the tent. And there may be some small bit of truth in that statement, by the way. But it's not fundamentally true. Because there are a lot of people, Jesus being like primary example, who were plenty righteous and suffered plenty of hard things. I mean, they, they crucified Jesus. And we're going to get to that in a second. Paul was an amazing guy, and he experienced tons of hardship. I mean, they stoned him. David, likewise, experienced tons of hard things. The truth is, is that we do experience really hard things. And I'm going to give you the, uh, the short of it, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit more. But like, here's the truth of it. If you're looking for this kind of protection and peace and prosperity on this side of heaven, you're looking on the wrong side of where it's going to be delivered. As a matter of fact, frequently, if God didn't allow you to go through some of the hardships that he allows you to go through, you would miss out on him and nearness to him and communion with him. Frequently, the things that we want aren't the things that we need. Now, none of us wants terrible things to happen to us. But sometimes God uses those things as the very instruments to give us the better things, even the best things. Um, yesterday, I was reading on, on uh, one of my Facebook friends' feeds. Friends' Facebook feeds, sorry. Uh, and her name is Tracy. She went here for a short time. She's about my age late 40s, early 50s. And she said, I just want to give you a health update. Um, I have this really weird thing that's happened to me. Um, I call it the Scooby-Doo leg syndrome where I can't walk anymore. Even a walker doesn't really do the trick. Um, But I will tell you that in the middle of the hardships of this terrible thing that I'm experiencing that may be a lifelong condition, I've experienced three beautiful things. And she says one of those things is health and wellness kind of exercise. Another is my people, my friends. But the biggest thing she says is the Lord. And she said, just to be honest, before this happened, my 
faith and my walk with the Lord had really stagnated, and now I'm on fire. And the result, the reason is because the Lord's met me in this terrible condition that I have. Now, that's not always true for every different uh, struggle that we have, that God uses it to bring us near to Himself. Sometimes it causes us to, to go distance. But frequently, the things that we despise or don't want for ourselves are the things that God uses to draw us to Himself. But there's another danger that comes in just assuming, presuming upon the psalm, upon the protection, peace, prosperity of the Lord. And, and that actually was uh, used in, uh, in Luke 4 to be a temptation for Jesus. You remember it? Satan took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, what was going on there? Now, Satan was, knows the Bible better than you and I probably do. He's really smart. And he, and he used this psalm, Psalm 91, to say what to, to Jesus? Hey, if God really will protect you, as he says in Psalm 91, throw yourself down and see if it, see if it works. Now, it would... Could Jesus have done that? Yeah, he could have done that. Would he have been protected? Probably. But he would never have done that. Why? Because he shows us the danger of testing the Lord. He tells us, in in other words, not directly, but through example, that there's a real danger in presuming upon the promises of the Lord. If you presume upon them, you're going to miss out on Him and you're going to dishonor Him. And so therefore, Jesus said that's not a proper application of Psalm 91. What is a proper application of Psalm 91? Well, this is where it gets really interesting. And you have to bear with me. Years ago, I had a pastor. His name was George Robertson. He also pastored um, Allison and Clint for a while. And he, he loved to preach the Psalms, and he frequently would say this statement that I find to be really helpful. The Psalms sing best first in the mouth of Jesus. What did he mean by that? He said sometimes when we read the Psalms, it seems too grandiose to just be about us without first going through Jesus. But if we, if we apply them to Jesus, it starts making some sense. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to reread the Psalm for you, but I would challenge you to reread the psalm when you go home today, perhaps, and reread it as if it's Jesus singing the psalm. Because this psalm is fundamentally about Jesus. He's the one who the shelter, the shadow of the Almighty is going to really cover. He's the one whom the Lord really did send down angels to protect him. He's the one whose feet are going to crush the head of the serpent, Genesis 3.15. And it's going to make a huge difference, namely for us. If he's the one who's going to hold fast to the Lord in love, 
and be delivered. He's going to be the one to call upon the Lord and be answered by Him. He's the one that's going to be rescued by the Father. Now, it's easy for me to say that, but you have to realize what happened to Jesus. If this psalm's so true of Jesus, why did they terrorize Him so badly? Why did they end up crucifying Him a really painful death? Why did He bear our sins on the tree as Peter and Paul tell us? Well, He was accomplishing the work of the Father. Because He and the Father had a greater plan and that was to rescue us and eventually to exalt Jesus. But Jesus didn't stay dead, right? And that's the whole point. Because the Father let him sit in the grave for a couple of days. On the third day, what happened? God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so everything that's stated in Psalm 91 is true of Jesus in the resurrection. Okay? And if if that's true of Jesus, it's also what's true of us. Okay? That's not to say God's not going to help you and protect you here on earth. He's really committed to you because He's really committed to Jesus. He was really committed to Jesus even when He was crucifying Him. But for you and me, every single thing that happens, if we really are the Lord's, if we really have run to Him, is working for our good. And it's going to work for our good fundamentally in the resurrection when we're raised from the dead with Jesus. If you hide in the shelter of the Most High, you will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Um... So what does it look like in our mouths? We sing with anticipation, but we also sing with a realization of God's deep commitment to us. How do we know He's committed to us? Well, we have an advantage the psalmist didn't have. What's the advantage we have? We know about Jesus and what God did for us in Him. And before I get to that one point, I'm going to bring up one last point that I meant to make in the last thing. In Luke 21, just before Jesus was crucified, he met with his disciples and he told them some really freakish things, some scary things. Now he told them how much he loved them, how much the Father loved them, how much God was going to care for them. But then he says this, uh, start, this section starts in verse chapter 21, Luke, verse 10, but it, I'm going to focus on verses uh, 14 and following. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Sell it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to answer or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Now, what's the saying? Some of your family and friends are going to give you up to be killed. Congratulations. 
you can understand why the disciples may have abandoned Jesus. But in that same passage, he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. What the heck does that mean? You'll be hated by all. They're going to kill you, but not a hair of your head will perish. And Jesus is talking about the reality that we're talking about right now in Psalm 91. They can do terrible things to you, but they cannot take away the thing that's most important, which is namely rescue in me, life, eternal life in me. Even though you die, you will live forever. So what does it look like now to sing this psalm in light of Jesus? Well, again, there's so much in Romans 8 that I would like to unpack for you. I'm not going to read it all for time's sake. But you know Romans 8.28, right? God works all things for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. That does not mean that every scenario you have is going to work out best for circumstances. But what it does mean is that all your circumstances are going to work out for your glorification. Which is the whole point of what he says. For those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God did not spare his own son for us, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him freely give us all that we need? Christ Jesus is the one who died, who is at the right hand, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't you understand what Paul's doing in Romans 8 is the same thing that the psalmist is doing in Psalm 91. The Lord is for you, and He's never going to let you go. But it's all conditioned on one thing. What's that one thing it's conditioned on? How do we access that? It's by running to the Lord. Now some of you have never come to know the Lord. And and it's showing here that there are two paths to life. One is a path where you create your own shelter and that shelter is never going to hold up for you. Not in this life and not before the Lord especially. The other path is to run to the Lord and to hide in Him. And what I long for all of you, what the Lord longs, what Jesus came to die for is that you would run to Him that you might experience the shelter of the Most High, the shadow of the Almighty, both in this life and life to come. Before this world and for Him. But for most of you, you have come to a place where you would say, hey, I do trust in the Lord. And if you do, He's never going to let you go. That's the glorious thing. But the other part of it is this, is learning to practice the presence of the Lord now. That's why the psalm is given to us. To realize if the Lord is for us, if He's going to care for us, then we don't have to be captured by fear. We don't have to be thinking about all the schemes that we're going to use to protect us from this world. We can actually rest in the Lord's protection. We can look to Him for peace and for prosperity. 
Have you learned to do that? I struggle with that. Even as I'm preaching this, as preparing to preach this, I just become really convicted. There's certain areas of my life where like, I have all these schemes of how to protect my family or me. And those schemes are just foolish in terms of really being able to do the trick to protect me. And I'm, I'm pressed to run to the Lord again. Not just in an ultimate sense, which I already did, but in a, in a practicing His presence sense, which is what He wants you to do. In closing, I, I want to tell you about a movie I saw yesterday. It's, it's all the buzz with good and bad. Sound of Freedom. Have you seen it? You should watch it. Um, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to spoil it for you, but uh, it's really about a guy's life named Tim Ballard. So it's like, if you look it up, it's already spoiled. But Tim Ballard uh, worked for Homeland Security, and he was really good, and he's a believer. That's really critical to the story. And he was really good at his job. He had put away 280 pedophiles over the course of his work. But one of the guys who's relatively new to working challenged him and said, how many of the victims have you actually saved? And he reflected and he said, none. And it hit him, why are we putting away these guys and not protecting the people who are being victimized? And so from that point on, he's like, I gotta, I gotta do something to make a difference. And so the next guy he caught, he saved the victim and took him back to his dad, who is the victim was from Honduras. But the, the dad had lost two kids in the, in, in when they stole his kids. And the dad said to this guy, Tim, if they took one of your kids and didn't return them, would you be able to sleep? Neither can I. And at that point, Tim <clears throat> took it upon himself to, to do something bigger. And so he went to Columbia and uh, ended up trying to save 50 kids, hoping that his daughter, that guy's daughter, was going to be one of those. And he targeted the, the lady who took the kids. And he saved the 50 kids, but he still didn't find the girl. And then he realized that this girl had been sent to the hinterlands of Colombia, where not even the Colombian police would go because it's too dangerous. And so he said, Hey, I'm going to go. Why would he do that? No kidding, why in the world would he do that? Why would he leverage? He has like five or six kids of his own, wonderful life, plenty of big bank account. He's 10 months from retirement. And they tell him, if you, if you do this, we're gonna, if you stay more than 10 days, we're going to fire you. So he stayed more than 10 days and they fired him. But he's like, i got to save this kid. And so he goes into the hinterlands. And you'll have to see the rest of the movie to get the answer. I'm not going to give you the, the ultimate punchline. But he risked his life at a really, really radical level, knowing he would probably die. All to save this girl. Why, why could he do that? Because he knew that Psalm 91 was true. He knew that the resurrection, because the resurrection is true, we can take radical risk to leverage our lives for the mission of God, for the things that He cares about here on earth, for the good of other people, in a way that we don't always have to guard our own backsides. We don't always have to protect ourselves because the Lord has us. What about you? How's God wanting you to live on mission for Him in a way that demonstrates your belief in the resurrection, in the goodness of God, that He really is the one who's going to protect you 
that he is the one who gives you peace because of his protection, that he's the one who's ultimately the one who's going to cause you to flourish both now and forevermore. We pray. Almighty God, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would take the reality of who you are and how you relate to us, your radical promises to us, your radical commitment is seen through the cross, Jesus, your life, death, resurrection. And you cause us to live in light of you, that we might experience your peace, that we might rest in your provision, and that we might live in a way that lives for your mission in a way that causes the world to ask what in the world is true of him if they're going to live like this, just like Tim. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.